I thought you were an orca. Oh, it's awful, so. Oh, what? I'm gonna be clear right now. Oh, what? Let's rewind that one. Well, this is the thingy thing. Yeah, I know. Poetry night rings through. Thank you, Boris. It's good to be back. Could we, uh, first off, could we could we turn off the fluorescent lights? There's nothing there's nothing that's a kryptonite to poetry than fluorescence, right? There we go. Secondly, uh, has it, nobody happens to have a saxophone ligature in their pocket, do they? No, unfortunately. Uh, then, sorry, I, I won't have a saxophone tonight for you which is really disappointing because I was just going to start my set with about 10 minutes of saxophone because I don't really know what to do uh, tonight. Uh, but I did bring the wind chimes, so. You hear the wind chimes all right? Okay. I lost the top. There was a top I used to hang to, but it's falling apart. Creation myth. In the beginning was the loneliness. Ooh, ooh, I gotta learn this mic a little bit. So. Let me start over. In the beginning was the loneliness. And the loneliness created a God in her own image. And the God said, now I have power. Now I can erase the long abandonment from which I came. Then God created the heavens and the earth and the creatures and spirits who occupy the lower and higher realms and the innumerable multitude of stars that fill the night sky and all the galaxies they are contained within. And then God said, We shall call this place earth and it'll be the place where all of the realities merge, where all the thoughts I've been thinking will be rendered as trees and rocks and birds and the splintering of ocean waves upon the cliffs and the storms that swallow entire continents. And I'll fix my gaze upon this place and the joys and sorrows of the creatures who dwell here will be as close to me as the blinking of my own eyes. And I'll fashion women and men in my own image and I'll breathe on them as I have not breathed on any of my other beings. The lizards and the cockroaches, the mycelium and the ferns, the angels and many messengers who inhabit all the celestial planes. On human beings alone I will endow dow my own heart that sad adoring mesmerizing space from which all the other mysteries are born they'll know the ecstasy of God and my overwhelming love for all things and they'll know the intelligence of God my grandeur and simplicity that masquerades in infinite and infinitesimal form and they'll know the intensity of God, my passion and my heat, my desire to see all things merge and then be torn out by the roots. And the loneliness of God, 
They'll know that, too. Seahom Arboretum. You're in the forest. You're in that green cavern amidst the echoes of the lark, surrounded by the pillars of the firs. Down below, the freeway kicks up a fine grit of noise, soiling what's trying to be still. You are that muddled place where both these worlds meet. If you came here by yourself, then indeed you are alone. The parking lot is empty. And elsewhere there are plenty of green lawns with picnic tables, with better views. And this island of brambles and branches surrounded by its asphalt beach is too small for hunters and the game they seek. This is not a place for finding tracks nor signs. So what about the trouble on your mind? Are you plotting your escape from the Guantanamo of work? Is the money running low or the status of her love in doubt? The ferns aren't here to help you. Go ahead, break off one of their stems. They are so comfortable with death. Not a single of its brethren cries out aghast nor seeks revenge. They are not like you. The trees stand there in a stillness, one shade beyond interpretation. Are you atheist? Do you believe in one God or many? You can make the trees say whatever it is you want. Go ahead, they'll not resist you. If you came here in search of answers, this is not the right place. This is a place for merely growing quieter. This is a place maybe for crying out. This is a place if you're finally ready to admit just how lost you really are. This confession I've learned is a good place to begin. Okay, that's all the wind poem, wind chime poems I have for you for tonight. So. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just fidgeting with it just for the sake of it. Sometimes I get nervous. <laughs> um, okay. Um, nobody, you, is it, nobody be offended if I do it. It's somewhat jocular. Uh, poem poking fun of a Buddhist monk who was hanging out around town for a couple years. I don't know if he's still around. You still see that, that Buddhist monk who's like, he like came and everybody's like, oh, there's like this Buddhist monk. And I never saw him. I never met him, but I, I made this poem, which isn't very nice, but here it is. Buddha monk. Snarky, that's the word I'm looking for. So the other day I hear this monk's come to town, white guy, wears Buddhist robes, been in Burma 20 years meditating, clumsy on a laptop. Walking down the street, people yell at him, Hey, monk, you're going to hell. Hey, monk, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Won't harm another living being. Won't even pick a weed. I don't pick weeds neither, but that's because I'm lazy. It's only once a day because that's what Buddha said. Buddha, 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 monk, monk, monk. Hey, do you know I once heard some of the earliest Buddha statues in India didn't have faces? What's that all about? Hasn't had sex in 20 years. Maybe he's fine with that. Maybe he does a double take when he passes by the maxims on the rack of magazines. 
Loves to talk about spiritual stuff. Of course he does. When I was hanging out with this crazy mystical cult down in Seattle, we all did too. Love to shit in the, sit in the coffee shops like mousetraps and wait for some poor bloke to stick his finger in and ask. Won't eat unless you offer him the bowl. Won't sleep unless you offer him the bed. Lots of protocol for reaching the divine. If I bump into this character on the street, maybe I'll say to him, Hey, monk, if you take off those orange robes, start eating three times a day, and get yourself a lady friend, will you feel far away from God? Nah, I'll probably just smile, put my hands together like this, do a little bow. All right, while we're bluesing it a little bit, I wish I, I really wish I had my sax. I've never... I've never done this before in terms of missing a key ingredient of it that doesn't allow you to actually perform the instrument. Blues. Now, Rasta Apostle was hanging with the Caesars at the beach club talking about how they could become divine. They said, we don't need your black Jesus. We already own the beaches. They help us maintain peace of mind. Rasta said, there will be punishment. Sorry. Rasta said, there will be judgment, punishment times 100 for all the wicked things you've done. They replied, we already picked the judges and we're paying Peter's budget. Had security, toss him in the mud. Back in the capital, the prophets had assembled for a rally at the temple. Said, we're going to wave some signs. But had been set by the commission from where they could petition and the barons all just rolled on by. Now Peter was in his cathedral praying against evil, his posse in the pews benign. Luke said, can't we hold a meeting with Herod about his legions? Peter said, God works in his time. Now Moses was a choking upon all the words he'd spoken, seeing how his law had been cast. President and his cabinet had memorized all ten commandments, said, this will help us get shit passed. Now, Jesus was in Cleveland, hanging with the heathen, sending them out two by two. A prominent professor asked to be a member. Jesus handed him a fender, said, first, you got to learn the blues. Now, the people were all seated on their sofas, sleeping, dozing to the daily news. It was busy spreading rumors about salvation for consumers. Go forth, do what you've got to do. Okay, so I'm living back down in Seattle again, which is great, and it also bites because you can't get anywhere <laughs> quickly, which is the beautiful, one of the beautiful, many beautiful things of Bellingham is you can, like, drive on the roads, and you, like, they take you where you want to go, and, and except for sometimes you might be on, like, sunset, and you get, like, five minutes, and you're like, shit, it's like a total, like, rush hour, you know, and that's as bad as it gets, but... Um, the last time I lived in Seattle, it was like I was, I just moved back from Washington, D.C. I had kind of my East Coast adventures and experience. Where, where was that previous poem came from was when I was living in D.C. Uh, and listening to lots of Bruce Springsteen. Um, and, uh, came back and was kind of like got in, like connected with the beats and was like absorbing that. Uh, you know, Gary Snyder and Kerouac and, uh, was just like, like getting back out and like, back out in the mountains after four years on the East Coast uh, and just like 
in Seattle and being like, this is a lovely city, but we just really, really do shit to society, don't we? Like, um, and this is kind of a series of poems that came out. This is one of them. And I, I spent a lot of time in parks. This is, this is one by North Seattle Community College, just a little one called Lichten Springs. Though now overgrown with graffiti, I can still make out the gist of the sign at Lichten Springs. Bogs like this one were once commonplace in the area of North Seattle, but now the Puget Sound region has lost upwards of 98% of its wetlands. 1890, white guy put up a cabin here, gave this pool a name, and she knew it would be pretty much all downhill from there. Wouldn't have even known she was here if I hadn't risked the cemetery of duplexes and prefab homes. And now, looking out, I see the teenage cedars in people's yards, looking back, fear-eyed and still, as if across a ditch of fire, they know they can't swim, knowing some mad homeowner could come out for them at any time. Old Oak, scuttled in the brush, has seen it all, now just mutters beneath his breath, My, my, so young, so sad. Not old growth, not even close, but still a little coil shaken from that same shag rug. And the creek's all stained with motor oil, but hell, I drove here. And the view's all tangled up in telephone wires, but that's not keeping the birds from bopping around and having a good time. And what did I do today to deserve this anyway, except wean a litter of purchase orders and fatten up the office file cabinet a few pounds? And if I close my eyes and pretend real hard that ceaseless cascade of cars which is I-5 may even sound like a river. Wiped out the entire back right section. They must not like snarky Buddha, Buddha poems. All right, thanks. Okay, so uh, this was the book I, I uh, released um, last year. It gets a, funny how time flies, and new books become just like, yeah, another poetry book. And then you write another one or something. Um, and uh, I'll do a couple. The, it's it's really it's uh, the first part. I, I tricked I tricked people. I uh, I wrote a new book in which the first half was a bunch of poems I'd already released as a smaller book, and then it's just another half. So I I'm and I'm going to trick people again because the first one was self-published and this one was self-published, and I'm going to re- it's going to get bigger, and I'm going to like release it again as it actually published book someday. So that's how you get more mileage out of things. And then the same people, and then the same people will buy your book again because they just come to your readings and they're friends and they buy stuff because so, they like you. So that's the that's all poetry is: is people who like you buying your poetry books, and sometimes. <laughs> Not always. I've I've sold people. I've sold poet. I've sold poetry books to to strangers. But there's no rhyme or reason to poetry. Uh, you know, you can have places where you you walk into a setting and you're like, I'm gonna fucking kill this one, and you like end up like like getting weak applause and selling like two books. And you walk into another one and you're like like in the tri cities, you know, and you're like like godless poetless place like Washington and you walk into a coffee shop like run by a Lutheran pastor and like there's 40 people there and you buy you sell like 25 like chat books and it's like what the like that's poetry just like you just have to submit yourself eventually to the magic and the whimsy of it so right Dobby (laughs) 
and it's a, it's a path of the destruction of the ego. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm going to read three little poems uh, that are part of a series here. And then just do another poem or two and be done. And then a breath came and took me by the hand and showed me the top of a mountain and then a temple tower and then spoke to me. And then a breath came and took me by the hand and showed me the top of a mountain and then a temple tower and then led me through a desert of bread and spoke to me of the laws of both carrion and birds of prey and of the grass and the sun that scorches it and showed me many other things across the surface of the earth that were coming and going and passing in and out of being before they even had a chance to be remembered. And they told me I was either something or nothing, but it wasn't up to me to decide which, but simply to take into my arms whatever it is that comes up out of this chest and decide whether or not I should let it go free. But like that last February night when the moon came up over the frozen tops of the trees and brushed away the stars with its silver broom and I wanted so badly to be cut through with both the sadness and the wonder but I wasn't even sure if it was up to me to decide that. And then the moon scratched me on the arm with its white hand, and I took hold of the rope that hung from its luminescence and swung out over gardens and fields and lakes and hillsides and forests and the birds who were sleeping in them, over newlyweds and divorces and children in their animal pajamas and the grandpas who could no longer rise to lift them and the horses in their barns and the girls who every afternoon forgot their loneliness to ride them over townships and cities and playgrounds and water fountains and empty parking lots and churches and places where the dead collect beneath the grass and stones. After the dream, I was still in bed when I was visited by foxes and they rubbed against my arms with their silken tails until I too smelled like a creature of the foliage. And I knew from them my life was the one thing I could not have unless I did not try to hold it. But there I sat, as if before a hundred miles of mountains aching to be crossed, and the compass I'd been given I'd not yet learned to read, but that in the crossing I would learn to read it. And when I came to the river at the edge that becomes a mouth that feeds the whole countryside with the telling of its gradual descent, I'd know that I was always safe within my own story, and that the one thing I never trusted was the one thing that always knew the way. And then the moon, part two, which is actually the third part of the poem. That she knew that, because you can count. <laughs> the truth is, there were no foxes, and there was no moon. There was no last February night that was not less than cloudy nor frozen. And there was no dream where I swung out over the loneliness and fields and trees. There was no breath that came for me, and no river waiting at the edge to reassure me of all the things I could never know for sure. I made these up. I baked them in a dark oven of illusion. I pulled them kicking into being out of a womb of air. 
I do not need to tell you of our need of fictions, and I know at least at once you've spotted the trickle spitting in a mirage of sand, and we all know our lies keep this world going, and without this world would we ever be ready for the next. These days I can no longer tell the difference between an image and its shadow, between a word spoken and the mouth from which it speaks. Every day it seems I find myself more within this dance of shadows between fires that burn than never burn again. And if I've ever heard a story that could not survive the scrutiny of our son, I have never met a woman or a man, despite the ridiculousness of the flesh and all that it seals within, who was not completely, utterly, determinedly true. Thanks. Um, okay, two more poems, then I've got chat books back there and, and the book if you would like to purchase. Um, and it's a, anything uh, that you purchase is going just to help a friend who's down in Mexico who's going through a really hard time. Uh, so if you uh, support me through that, you're supporting her. And she's a really wonderful painter uh, and dear woman, but she's also someone who is... Uh, born with some very severe uh, wounds and came into this life with, well, at, at, at a young age, um, uh, acquired some, some wounds in the form of cancer uh, at the age of three, that she's, she's had a tough life. So um, just say that if that m might move you at all to, to purchase a book. And this is a, a rather whimsical uh, poem about uh, fantasizing about being a cat. If I were a cat, wake up a dozen things already sitting on the mind, go onto the yard, pretend I'm one of those ancient Chinese administrator poets, exiled to a distant post, wandering the countryside, conning new metaphors for egrets and cherry blossoms, listening to the baboons howling in the hills. Now back inside, five minutes before the hour I've apportioned when I should start doing stuff, when I'll don my ball cap bearing the slogan, responsible human being. Just then... Oh, consider reading a few poems from the stack of chapbooks rising from the kitchen table like a jumbled sheetrock ruins. Cringe. Just then, wee one jumps up from the floor onto the piano. I consider the life of cats who by day cushionize themselves on couches, but by night stalk people's yards in their compulsive, disaffected quest for nothing in particular and to fuck with other cats. I think about how if I were a cat, how I would sneak into people's houses through their pet doors to eat their food and piss on their carpets. Imagine you waking in the night, groggy for a 2 a.m. snack, me on your kitchen counter, licking the ice cream film from the bottom of the bowl you regretfully decided not to wash, you in your still-clinging stupor, not knowing what to do, me totally freaking out, bouncing off walls, cupboards, recycling containers, kitchen stools like a flubber ball flung mightily by your six-year-old son, you finally mustering the sense to open up a door, me darting through, leaping heroically off the porch, once I hit the grass, regain my composure, stroll away like I just stepped out of Nordstrom. You... Frazzled, take a sec to catch your breath. Remember midnight snacks sometimes give you gas. Go back to bed hungry. Me, now beneath your rhododendron bushes, found myself a lady cat, staring into the phosphorescence of her feline eyes as King Solomon might the Queen of Sheba. 
Now, I know this exercise ended up taking far longer than the five minutes I'd apportioned for pre-dawn inspiration. Still, I reassure myself, indulging in my own fantasies, for the most part, is far more interesting than reading other people's poems. I know that's kind of an assy poem to, to read at a poetry reading, but uh, it's true. Like, indulge in you don't like, like, if, if you are, are, are picking up a poetry book because there is some voice in your head that says, like, read this poetry so you will keep up with the Joneses of poetry, like, and, like, be able to quote, like, obscure literary reference, references at cocktail parties, like, put that shit down. Like, do it because it speaks to your heart. Okay, last one. Thanks. This was lovely. It's always lovely to be in Bellingham and be at Poetry Night. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Dobby, Boris, Tom, et al., for, for allowing me to be here. I sometimes wondered if I'll die in prison sometime after we elect our first fascist president and writing about masturbation once again becomes a crime. Alone in solitary confinement with nothing to accompany me but my tuberculosis hack, merrily scrawling dirty limericks upon my cell walls until I breathe my last. But the truth is, I'll be released from prison shortly before the, shortly before the conclusion of the Second Civil War. It'll be my 63rd birthday. The birds will be singing their April lullabies. The daisies will be crooning beneath the noonday sun. And I'll live another 16 years. It won't be the car wreck that kills my second wife and leaves my leg buzzing like an electric fence ever thereafter. And it won't be the nightshade berries my absent-minded great-grandson accidentally slipped into the Waldorf salad at the family reunion down in Lake Oswego. And it won't be the cancer that colonizes my prostate and eats away my spleen. No, it will be a sunny day in August. The night before, there'll have been a storm, raindrops still dripping from the bejeweled trees. The birds will be hopping up and down as they excavate eight worms from the frothy soil and rays of light coming at me through the branches like the yellow lines on the freeway. And I'll go to them through the forest upon the trails of the deer. Go until the light begins to feel warmer, till it feels like it's getting closer. And I'll drop my cane as my mouth becomes too dry for words and these eyes no longer have the moisture left for tears. And I'll go until they cannot find me, so they'll have to say either I disappeared down into the earth or up into the sky and put a tombstone down someplace where the grass is cut and green and try to pretend it's heavy enough to hold down all of my memories. Because unless some of my pieces are held... In all your hearts, I'll be somewhere, anywhere, everywhere, but here. Thanks. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Matthew Brower. Thank you. This poem is called. bad idea. Make yeah. Yeah, I know. 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 Yeah